The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. All right, once we've lowered our expectations for concerning government and politics, we come to the really crucial question, as I, as I believe, uh, in the whole area of looking at government and politics, and that is, who do you trust? Do you trust uh, the systems of the world? In this case, do you trust government? Do you trust the state government, the national government, uh, the courts uh, to solve things, to straighten things out, to make society wonderful, uh, solve our problems? Or do you trust the sovereign God of the universe? The American coins say, in God we trust. But uh, it's not very often that in America people really trust God when it comes to political things and governmental things. And so we want to talk about that a little bit uh, and just keep that in mind as sort of an overarching question uh, to, the, to all of the lessons. Uh, who do you trust? Is your trust in God or is it in man-made systems and men running those systems? Um, so to begin with, in looking at this, we need to, we need to understand, though, that excessive concern for or confidence in political solutions is improper. Uh, we've already said it's perfectly fine to be involved in politics, even as an occupation, uh, to be an office holder, to be a ruler, etc. There's nothing wrong with that. But excessive concern for political solutions or excessive confidence in political solutions is improper. Uh, and so I want to sort of spell that out a little bit. First of all, we have no mandate or instruction in the Bible to participate in government. Now, I teach political studies. I, I run the political studies major, and I teach political studies, and, and obviously my students plan to be involved in politics in one way or another. And that, as we said, that's fine. But there's no mandate or instruction to participate. The Bible never says, thou shalt participate in government. Um, and so we need to keep that in mind. It's not an obligation to be involved in politics in any way, including some of the ones we'll talk about later, such as voting. Um, there's no obligation there. Secondly, most of our resources and energy should be directed to the heavenly kingdom, not our earthly republic. Most of our resources and energy should be directed to God's kingdom, to the church, not the earthly republic. There's nothing wrong with giving to political campaigns uh, or giving to the government in general um, or being, again, spending your time and energy in those areas. But most of your energy, most of your resources should be directed to God's kingdom, not the earthly republic. Jesus talked about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, um, when he said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you ever thought about that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you give more to political campaigns than you give to the church, then you might want to do a little heart check uh, and wonder whether your priorities are in line. And then a third thing under this notion is that society, contrary to popular belief, society is immoral because men love the darkness not because we lack a key law or a certain judge or the right president. 
uh, and fixing a law, uh, getting someone on the Supreme Court, or electing the president that we like better than someone else is not going to fix society. It's not going to make society moral. Society's immoral. John 3.19, Jesus said, because men love the darkness. They love their sin. And that's why society is in the shape that it's in. And it can't be fixed by politics. Now, government can, um, again, restrain evil and ameliorate things somewhat and make things uh, somewhat better and, and do some things better than they, they might uh, do that would be wicked or evil. But ultimately, they can't solve the problems of America or any other country. Uh, only God can do that. And so we need to keep that in mind. Now, having said that, let's turn to two categories. Uh, I like to divide it up this way. I think it makes it easier for people to follow. First, we're going to talk about what we must do concerning government and politics from a biblical standpoint, and then we'll talk about what we may do in concerning government and politics from a biblical standpoint. So the things we must do, the Bible requires of us, and then the things that we may do that we have an option to do if we so desire. So let's begin with the most important, uh, arguably the most important principle in terms of our behavior uh, from a biblical standpoint concerning government and politics, and that is we must submit to government. We must be subject to the governing authorities. That's what Paul says right there in Romans 13.1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. And then he goes on to explain why. He gives, he gives there about five reasons why we should be subject to authority, because he understands human nature, and he knows that human beings don't want to be subject. That's what sin is all about. They don't want to be subject to authority. But we are to be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, that's the way God has structured it. God, authority structure is very important to God. And there are authority structures in a number of different realms, in the realm of politics, in the realm of the church, in the realm of employment, in the realm of family. Uh, there's even authority structure within the Godhead, uh, in heaven and within the Godhead, in which Jesus submits to the Father. And so submission to authority is a critical biblical concept uh, and something, frankly, that Americans have trouble with largely because of our history. And uh, the United States, of course, began by people who did not want to be submissive to authority. But, but God demands that we be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, and what that means is that we recognize that they have authority over us. We recognize, it's an attitudinal thing primarily, we recognize that they have authority over us. And uh, we may or may not obey, we'll see that in a moment, but either way, we have to recognize they have authority over us and therefore they have authority to punish us if we do not obey. And even, and some people might say, well, you know, what about Hitler's regime or what about this particular president I don't like or that president I don't like? Do I have to submit to them? Well, you have to remember that when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he was writing to people in um, Rome. And the ruler of Rome, the, the emperor of Rome at the time was Nero. Nero, one of the worst rulers in the history of the world. In fact, there's an entire school of theology that says that Nero was the Antichrist, that there isn't an Antichrist coming in the future, that Nero was the Antichrist. Now, that's wrong. But nonetheless, it shows you how bad Nero was. So 
when Paul is writing to the Romans and telling them to be subject to the governing authorities, that means be subject to Nero. Uh, you have other instances in which um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel, the Hebrew midwives, etc., uh, had to be involved in disobedience, but nonetheless, they remained in subjection. And what was the end result? After Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remained in subjection and went through the fiery furnace, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? He declared that their God is the true God, and he commanded everybody worship Yahweh. When Daniel went through the lion's den, what did Darius say when he came out unscathed? This man's God is the true God. Everybody must listen to him. And so when we are subject to authority, God gets the glory. Now let's, come, let's deal now with the other issue that runs sideways with uh, sub subjection, and that is obedience. The second thing that we must do is obey the governing authorities. Titus 3.1, Paul says, remind them to be subject and to obey. And so the second obligation we have is to, to obey the governing authorities. And Christians should be noted for exemplary obedience. Christians should, should be noted for obeying all the laws, all the rules, all the regulations. Uh, we don't obey because of worry about getting caught. We obey because that's what God tells us to do. And God is glorified by our, by our obedience. And so our second obligation is to obey. It's a different thing than subjection. You, and you know what? We've already said subjection is recognizing that the government has authority over you and authority to command you to do things. Obedience, as you know, if you had parents, means to do what they say. And for the most part, believers should obey. There's no exception to the command to be subject to authority. We are always to be subject to authority no matter what regime we're in and no matter what the circumstances are. We're always to be subject to authority. The Bible gives no exception to that. There is one and only one exception to the command that we be obedient to governing authorities. And that is, if the government authority requires us to disobey God, then we must obey God rather than men. The book of Acts has, uh, explains this in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, Peter and John and the apostles were, of course, preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, and the council called them in, and they, and they ordered them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, whether it's right or not, to do that, you decide, but we can't stop speaking what we've seen and heard. And in Acts 5.29, they're called back before the council, and the council says, wait a minute, we told you not to preach the gospel, and you are, you're filling Jerusalem with your preaching. And what they say there in a very well-known verse is, we must obey God rather than men. And that's the principle. Christians should be noted for exemplary obedience, that we obey all the laws, except when the government requires us to disobey God. And that brings us, and, that, and that's the one and only exception to the requirement to be obedient. And that brings us to the third thing that we must do, which is disobey. Uh, I know that sounds a little contrary, but let me explain. We also have an obligation to disobey in order to obey God. 
to disobey when the authorities require us to disobey God and to choose God over men. And the end result of that is that if, if Christians are noted for exemplary obedience and there's some law that they do not obey, this causes society, this causes the world to look at that law and say, what is it about this law? We know that Christians always obey the law and they don't obey this one. What is it about this law that's different? And it ends up being a good testimony on our part, in addition to, of course, being obedience to God who has, who has given the authority their authority and he judges how they use it. That's not up to us to judge. Our job is to obey if we can and if they require us to disobey God, to choose God rather than men and to disobey then the governing authorities. Now, a fourth thing that we must do is honor and respect the governing authorities. Now, this again is difficult for Americans. Americans have a long tradition of anti-authoritarianism and frankly, just not liking authority and not like, liking being told what to do. But we are to honor and respect those in authority. Romans 13, seven, Paul says, render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now it says, give honor to those to whom it is due. And it doesn't mean the individual earns the honor that we give. It is due them because of the office that they hold. That's the context of Romans 13. The government is there to restrain evil. It works for, on God's behalf to restrain evil, whether it wants to or not, it, that's what it does. And so we are to honor those and respect those in government who uh, carry out this task because they are fulfilling the, the function that God has established. Now, I'd be the first person to say I have to, I have to repent of this periodically. Uh, I have a slight bent toward sarcasm, and I can sometimes uh, not give great honor and respect to those in authority, and I have to then repent because that's wrong. I am to give honor and respect to those who are in government, whether, they, whether I think they've earned it or not. Uh, and then, fifth, we are to pray for those in government. In 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy, pray for leaders, pray for the king, pray for the governing authorities. Uh, it's somewhat fashionable in our circles, especially if we don't like who the president is, to say, I'm going to pray against this, or groups might say, pray against this. It's interesting, the Bible never tells us to pray against things, it tells us to pray for the government, not only in the New Testament, also in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 29, 7, the Israelites have been carried off into captivity. They're not even their own country anymore. They've been conquered. And yet, in Jeremiah 29, 7, the Lord says, pray, to the, pray for the city uh, for its welfare, because in its welfare, you will have welfare. And that's what 1 Timothy 2 says as well. Pray for the rulers because they are taking care to see that you live a, a quiet and peaceful life. So these are five of the things we must do. And in our next segment, we'll look at the rest of the things that we must do and then look at the things that we may do with res regard to government. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Master's University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, 
visit masters.edu.